reading from the book of Philemon. Book of Philemon, that's about one page long. It's right before the book of Hebrews, toward the back of the New Testament. So start turning toward the back of the New Testament. You find Hebrews, come on up. It's right after the book of Titus and, and First and Second Timothy, kind of give you a reference. It's a little bit difficult to find simply because it's just uh, about one page long and it's just got one chapter. This uh, letter to Philemon is one of Paul's letters uh, where, of course, most of the uh, New Testament after the Gospels letters of the Apostle Paul. This is a personal letter from Paul to a friend of his. Now, the subjects of a letter is a mutual acquaintance of theirs who took a long trip. Now, you know, Paul was on a trip of himself. Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. Now, we're introduced to the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem uh, years before and about 2,000 miles away. Well, as you know, that uh, if we're talking about road trips, Paul is the man. He took several missionary journeys, and here he's all the way in Rome in prison. Now, scholars say he was, of course, in prison several different places, but they can pretty well nail down that this imprisonment was in Rome, if you look at some of the other uh, scriptural evidence in the uh, New Testament writings. He was in a Roman prison, and he's talking to his friend Philemon on behalf of a mutual friend that had taken a trip. Now, in this letter... He's requesting that Philemon take a trip of his own. And we are all, we are all admonished to take the same trip. Let's stand as we read Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he may minister to me in my chains for the gospel. For without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed may not be by compulsion, but as it were, Voluntary, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you may receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
If you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. And I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you knowing you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the words that are inspired, the words that we can read of people and places and events. We know these things are written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. Now we ask that these words would find their way to address whatever need we may have. Any decision that needs to be made, something needs to be made right, we ask your word would give us direction on what we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> want to look at these people that are mentioned here. Of course, the recipient of this letter is Philemon. Now, in Philemon, we get a portrait of a faithful follower in Christ. We need to establish first, as we were looking at this passage of Scripture, well, where Philemon was from. We know by looking at this passage of Scripture and looking in the book of Colossians that Philemon lived in Colossae, which was 1,300 miles away. How do we know that? Well, in the last part of this passage of Scripture, we read some names. Epaphras, this is in verse 23, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus also greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now turn back to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 7. Now the first name is not mentioned, but he's important. We'll explain why later. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you, the Colossians, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus. Now, if you remember the passage that we read, in the book of Philemon, he says, I am sending Onesimus to you. So we know, of course, that Onesimus is coming back somewhere where we know he's going to Colossae. A faithful and brother who is one of you, they will make known all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. He's mentioned in that letter. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, he's mentioned in that letter about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are not only my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. All these names are mentioned in Philemon, but especially he said, 
I am sending Tychicus with Onesimus. And he says in Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. So we know that this man lived in Colossae. That was 1,300 miles from Rome. That'll be important here in just a little bit. Now, what do we know about Philemon? Who is this guy? In verse 5, it says, Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Here is a man of good reputation. Now again, Paul's 1,300 miles away. And Paul's hearing about Philemon. And what is he hearing about Philemon? He's hearing about his love and his faith. Those are the things that he's known for. He had a good reputation. He's hearing about his love toward the Lord. But watch this. He's hearing about his love toward others. And that is generally where people recognize our love for the Lord. When they see our love for others. He had a generous heart in verse 2. In verse 1, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, that was probably his wife, and Archippus, probably his grown son, he's a fellow laborer in the Lord, and to the church. But watch this, the church in your house. You see, church buildings didn't show up till uh, probably about the late 300s. Up till then, everybody would meet in someone's house. So here was a man who was generous, and he allowed the church to meet in his house. We know by this he was very probably a wealthy man because he had a house big enough for people to meet in. Now, that's pretty generous. We don't know how many was in the church, but we know that in some places, the early church, the congregations had grown up pretty good. Now, look around. You want us showing up at your place every Sunday morning? You see, here was a guy who was opening his house up and let the church meet in his house. Now, he had a generous heart, but also he had a compassionate heart. In verse 7, he says this, We have great joy and consolation in your love. Listen to this statement. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Look at the, look at the effect he had on the people around him. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Now, I thought I'd better look that word up. And the Greek word is anapavo. And the technical term in the Greek is as a soldier can take a rest after leaving the battlefield. He's weary He's battered, he's tired, and he's been in danger. And he comes to a place where he can rest. It's a place of safety. It's a place of peace. It's a place of calm. It's a place that, that helps him to replenish, to re-strengthen. That's the effect that Philemon had on people around him. Now the question is, what effect do we have on people around us? Is it always sour? Is it always negative? Is it always stirring the pot? What, what is our demeanor? Are we always agitated? What is it? Here's a man, because of his love for Christ and love for others, people that are around him were better off than before. 
That's a challenge. This is quite some guy. You might say, man, I wish I could be more like him. Well, we are like him, uh, Philemon. He is a lot like us in that he was a faithful follower in Christ, but he still had a long way to go. You see, Christ takes us where we are and changes our life, but then leads us where we need to go, and that's a process called sanctification. It's a continual process, and it's sometimes a lengthy process because we're humans. We make our mistakes. Philemon still had a long way to go. Let me explain. He was a wealthy man, and most wealthy men in that day had servants or slaves, owned them. This is just part of the culture. Nobody thought about how wrong this was because the Roman culture was entrenched with it. You see, slaves looked like everybody else. So in our country, of course, slaves were easily recognizable. But in the Roman culture, it, was, it wasn't a racial thing. Uh, slaves looked like everybody else. Slaves were not only involved in the menial labor of the day, but slaves were also professional people, teachers, doctors, those kind of things. And they lived like everyone else. In fact, a lot of times they lived and looked better than a common day laborer because of their position in life, but they were still slaves. There were so many slaves in the Roman culture that at one time somebody had the bright idea, you know, we need to make the slaves wear a particular type of clothing so that we can recognize them. And then somebody else said, oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. The reason is the slaves outnumbered the general population. So they said, if they know how many there are, then we're toast. So they nixed that idea. But there we are. He had a slave. One slave, at least one servant or slave. We don't know if he had any more of them, but we're dealing with this man named Onesimus. Now, how do we know he was a slave? Well, if you look... Then verse 16, receive him no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. So here's the story. It's a great story. Onesimus, his slave, had run away. Serious business. You see, as educated and skilled and useful as slaves were, servants, they were still property. And a slave owner could do with his slaves whatever he wanted to. Kill them at a whim. And some of them did. Now, one of them escapes, he could do whatever he wanted to. He could chop off a foot. He could kill him. He could, he could make life miserable for him. Onesimus had run away. That had caused him a lot of financial loss. Very possibly, he stole some things before he ran away because Paul said that if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Very possibly he stole some things. So he had suffered a financial loss, but also he was embarrassed in the community because his servant had run away, and that was embarrassment. So his whole life was in turmoil because Onesimus, his servant, had run away. Now, he ran away 1,300 miles to Rome. 
The reason is Rome had a lot of, uh, of inhabitants and he could lose himself in the crowd. Somehow, some way, the path of Onesimus crossed with Paul's path. Paul was in his own rented house, according to the book of Acts, the last few verses. And people could come and go. And somehow this slave had run away to, to get away from everything that was going back in Colossae, ran into a mutual friend of his master, the apostle Paul. And it says that he was saved because of the encounter. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my chains. What does that mean? Onesimus ran away and somehow encountered Paul. And Paul led him to the Lord, and now Onesimus is a saved man. And that's the occasion of the letter. Now, before we get to Onesimus, let's just stop here. This whole letter is a reminder of the direction of God that can orchestrate things we could never pull off. Look at the chances that in all the millions of people in Rome, a fugitive slave that's trying to hide out, that somehow would cross paths with Paul and then get saved. Is that an accident? Absolutely not. God was directing his steps. God showed him where to go. We don't know how it happened, but we know that it happened. And we are amazed how God directs our paths and how God can direct all of our steps. Now, Onesimus is a picture of the power of the gospel. In the book of Philemon, we are introduced to Onesimus as a completely new man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if you know the passage of Scripture, that in Christ, behold, every man's a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn just a few pages back again, remember, this is the same place where Onesimus was going back. Colossians chapter 3 has an extensive discussion about conduct and about the way we should live and the way we should act. But he sums it all up in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You put off the old man, you put on the new man. Guess who was standing there when this letter was read? The runaway slave that's now a saved man. They could see the power of the gospel. They could see what God expects from our lives when we claim the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says this, He was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. This is a lot stronger word in the original language. The stronger word is this, He was useless to you, but now he's useful to both of us. Did you catch that? Here's a man that was useless, a negative. And he says, now he's useful to you and to me. 
Here's a man of courage. He ran away, a cowardly act. After he was saved, he became a man of courage. We go again, verse 11. He was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back, therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. What was going on is Onesimus was helping the Apostle Paul. In Rome, if you were imprisoned, you didn't have anybody to take care of you inside the prison walls, including the administration. You needed somebody on the outside who would come and help you with your needs. Food, medicine, any articles of clothing you might need, those kind of things. And Onesimus was doing that. Now, that's pretty courageous because if you identify and associate with a prisoner, in the Roman's eye, it's like, that guy's not far from being this guy in jail. And if he is associating with this guy, he probably needs to be in jail too. And so you had the risk that at a whim, somebody could arrest you and just throw you in jail just because you were associating with this guy right here. And he knew that was a risk. And there he is, a runaway slave going to Paul who was under arrest. Now, he was under house arrest in his own rented house, but guess who was there? Roman soldiers, 24 hours a day. And here's a fugitive, a wanted man who was brave enough to go back and forth and help the apostle Paul. Where does this courage come from? Well, it comes from a relationship with Christ, and he could take courage. Now, he was courage because he was going back to face his death. Paul was sending him back. He was going back 1,300 miles back to Philemon. Now, Tychicus went with him. Here's the reason why. He was a fugitive. He was a runaway slave. The closer he got to home, the more likely it is that somebody would recognize him. Paul didn't send him back by himself, but he sent him back with Tychicus. That could probably, that would offer him protection on the way back. But once he got home, he didn't know what he had faced. Paul is writing on his behalf, but he could face any type of punishment. But what Paul did was say, Philemon, Onesimus, look, you're a Christian now, and you owe this man. You owe an obligation to this man, and you have to go back. The right thing to do is to go back and face the consequences of your action. You've been forgiven of that spiritually, but there are some consequences, and you need to face the music. Onesimus courageously said, I'll go back and do the right thing. Doing the right thing sometimes is the hardest thing to do. Doing the right thing sometimes, it takes a lot of courage to do that. But here was a man of Onesimus, and a man with a new name. Look in verse 16. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. He left 
a useless slave. And he returned a useful brother. God gives us a new name. He gives us a new identification. He gives us a new status. All this has happened in the life of Onesimus, and he's sending him back to Philippi. But then Paul, in this letter, is asking Philemon to take a trip of his own. Now, he asked Onesimus to take the 1,300-mile trip back to Colossae. Where is he asking Philemon to go? Well, he's asking Philemon to take a walk. To walk with Jesus. He's asking him to walk with Jesus. First of all, he's asking him to welcome the runaway slave. If you count me as a partner, receive him. That word means welcome him as you would me. Welcome him just as if I were coming. Now, they were beloved friends and brothers. That's what he says in the first verse of this letter. To Philemon, a beloved friend. He said, you welcome him just like I was walking into your door. Now, what's so hard about that? This would involve the most difficult of all Christian disciplines. Forgiveness. Now, we all like the idea of walking with Jesus. Hand in hand, we'll walk each day. Hand in hand along the way, walking thus I cannot stray. Hand in hand with Jesus. We love the idea. However, if we are going to walk with Jesus, we have to walk like Jesus walked. And that means forgiving like Jesus forgave. That's quite interesting. Not only did Paul write about the new man in Christ with Onesimus standing there, but you see the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon were delivered by the same hand. So the church got the letter to Philemon read to them, and they had the letter, of course, to the Colossians read to them, well, let's just look what's included in the letter in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. Wow, this is right after Jesus, uh, Paul says, if any man, you know, be in Jesus, you, you put off the old man, put on the new man. There's Onesimus as the object lesson. Then he says, and be tenderhearted and forgive each other. Would they be able to look at Philemon and say, well, there's the object lesson for that? That was up to Philemon. That was up to Philemon. It's quite interesting. There's a prayer in here that has everything to do with what he's asking about Philemon to do. In verse 6, 
that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That's after verse 4, making mention of you always in my prayers, that. In other words, this is what I'm praying for. The sharing of your faith may become more effective by the acknowledgement. Now, we have to, have to read word that so we can really understand what he's saying. The sharing of your faith will lead you into a deeper knowledge of the good things of Christ in you. Now, we can know about forgiveness from these passages of Scripture in Paul's writings. Philemon knew about forgiveness because he had been taught the teachings of Christ, and Jesus taught forgiveness. But we can never fully know forgiveness until we learn to forgive. We can't really know what forgiveness is until we forgive ourselves. So what he's saying is this. We learn the most about Christ when we live like Jesus. And that's what he's saying. The sharing of your faith, when you do something and share your faith, you'll begin to know more and more about all the good things about Jesus Christ. Do we want to learn more about Jesus? Do we want to experience more of the good things in Christ in us? He said, then we need to walk with Jesus. And to walk with Jesus means to walk like Jesus. Or we're not walking with him. Paul is a master of persuasion. Did you catch that in here? Let's look at what Paul did. First of all, Paul doesn't boss him. You know, most time people get bossed, they're going to, instinctively, we're just going to bristle up. We're going to dig in our heels. We're going to resist. And Paul says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, for love's sake I appeal to you. Now, what's he talking about? Paul had a certain amount of authority as an apostle. The apostles had a lot of authority in the early church. And in most of the epistles, or the letters of Paul, he begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this letter, he does not, in, he does not say that. He does not introduce his letter that way. He said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, to my beloved friend, I'm writing to you as a friend. I don't claim my rank as an apostle. He said, I could, I could command you to do this, but rather I'm asking you to do this. He appeals to him as a friend. He says, I rather appeal to you being one as such as Paul, the aged and a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you. In verse 12, he said, I'm sending you back, therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. You remember, we're friends. Philemon, we're friends. You're a dear friend to me, so I'm appealing to you as a friend to receive him as a friend. And then he appeals to a sense of responsibility. Verse 17. If you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. Wow. 
If we're really partners, if you really count me in as a partner, then you do this. Because that's what I'm asking you to do. If you're really a partner. Now, I have to understand, what was he saying? He didn't say, if you're really my friend, you'll do this. He said, you're really a partner. What were they in partnership with? They were in partnership to share the love of Christ with the world and the message of the forgiveness of Christ in the world. And so he said, if you're really working as a messenger of Christ's forgiveness, you'll display this forgiveness by forgiving Onesimus. If we're really partners in the work of the gospel, it will make a difference in how we live. We can say we are, but Paul says, if you're really a partner with me, if you're really on board with this work of the church, then your life will reflect something different than everybody else. If you consider me a partner, receive him as you would me. But then he, he puts a hook in there. Now remember, he's asking him all of this, and up to now you might think this is just between Paul and Philemon. Oh, no. Paul addresses this letter to the church. He says, I want this read to Aphia because the wife of a big household was usually involved in keeping track of the servants, so she would be involved in this. Archippus, and to the church. He said, this letter is going to be read to the church along with a letter to the Colossians. He included Onesimus in the Colossian letter and said, I want, I'm, I'm sending Onesimus. He's a faithful servant, and he'll tell you what's going on with me. Wow. So they knew that Onesimus sent back by Paul and what Onesimus meant. Then here's the hook. Verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, he said, I just know you'll do I just know you do the right thing. But, oh, he puts the icing on the cake. He says, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He's asking him to completely forgive Onesimus, to receive him back as a friend and welcome him back into the house with open arms. And he says, and I'm convinced you'll do more than I'll say. What more could he do for Onesimus? Set him free set him free. And then he says this. But in the meanwhile, you prepare a guest room for me because I'm coming to your house. Uh-oh. Now, there's a lot more than he said here. Prepare a guest room for me. I'm coming to your house. Now, remember, he had asked him to do all of this, to take him a walk with Jesus by walking like Jesus and doing what probably no slave owner had ever done and forgive this man and welcoming back into his home. He's asking him to display true Christian character, though it's going to be hard. He's asking him to do that, and then he said, oh, and I'll be getting out of prison soon, and I'm coming to your house. What does that mean? I'm going to know whether you did this or not. You see, that's the, that's the thing that we need in serving together in Christ, accountability. We answer to each other. Now, Philemon could say, like a lot of folks, well, 
nobody else's business what I do. That's between me and the Lord. Oh, it's everybody's business because when we identify with Christ and his church, our behavior does become somebody else's business because it reflects on all of us. And Paul said, by the way, I'm coming to your house and the hook there hidden, and I'm going to find out what you really did with this. Wow. There's a lot of things in this one little letter. We have the story of the power of the gospel to turn lives around like he did Onesimus. He was useless, now useful. Then we have a man who was saved, had been saved a long time. And the apostle Paul said this, I've asked Onesimus to take a trip. He'll be coming 1,300 miles back to Colossae. Now, Philemon, I'm asking you to take a trip. I'm asking you to take a walk with Jesus. You see, God asked us all to take that walk, to walk with Jesus. To walk with Jesus is going to involve some major rearrangement in our lives. But if you don't walk with Jesus, you're walking alone. And it is worth the effort to walk with Christ. Whatever you need to do, to be walking with Jesus. Make that right as we stand and sing. What number?